Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, sitting in for Mike Adams, here's Sabrina Hill. Good morning. Thanks for tuning in to this Thursday edition of AOA. I'm Sabrina Hill. We have a lot to talk about today. Later in the show, I'm talking with Senator Joni Ernst of Iowa. Possible big news coming from Iowa next week as President Trump is heading out to Council Bluffs, Iowa next Tuesday, October 9th. Reports say he's expected to announce lifting the ban on year-round E15 sales. I'll ask Senator Ernst about that. We also talk about the Farm Bill and what the next steps are. Also, the big developments with the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. So that's coming up later in the show. We also go back out to Madison, Wisconsin for the World Dairy Expo and check in with our correspondent at the show, Brian Winnikins. He has another interview for us from the Expo. We start out the morning with the American Seed Trade Association, or ASTA. On the phone is Abigail Struxness, who was just brought on at ASTA for a major position. Abigail, you are the new Senior Director of International Programs and Policy with the American Seed Trade Association. That is quite a title. Why don't you tell us what this new role is that you're going to be doing? Sure. Well, thanks for having me. Happy to be on. Um, This is day five on the job for me. Um, And I'll be managing the international programs for the American Seed Trade Association. Um, We have grant funding. We're a cooperator with uh, USDA through their market access program as well as their foreign market development program. Um, We've been participating in these programs since the 1960s. And um, through those grants as well as a industry matching program, um, with the private sector, we um, engage with international seed associations. We work on breaking down um, market access barriers such as phytosanitary issues and intellectual property rights and represent the American seed industry abroad. All right. So as you mentioned, you are really within just the first few days on this job, but you actually have quite a strong trade background working with other organizations. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you've done before this? Sure. Um, well, I'm originally from Oregon, which uh, is the grass seed capital of the world. So I have a little bit of a seed connection um, from there, but I have spent the last five years working at the Agriculture Transportation Coalition here in Washington, D.C., Um, And through that association, we represented um, American exporters from all over the country and all commodities, um, basically dealing with transportation issues from the farms here in the U.S. to the foreign markets. Um, So in that role, I dealt with um, market access issues, issues with the ports and with customs, um, helping U.S. exporters uh, get their products competitively and efficiently over to those foreign markets. Um, And before that, I spent some time at the Washington International Trade Association, as well as the state of Oregon's um, Business Oregon International Trade Department. All right. So we do a lot of stories on trade, and we talk a lot about trade. But I have to tell you, when we're thinking about trade, the seed industry isn't always um, what comes to mind first for some of us. But, you know, I guess just like any other agricultural industry, of course, trade is important. Yeah, absolutely, and it's interesting. Um, seeds can cross up to six borders before they're being planted by a farmer. So the supply chain is really unique and complex for our industry. Um, you know, whether it's related to um, getting 
small batches over to a new country for uh, research purposes or whether it's, um, you know, for special seed treatments. Um, you know, our products are, are crossing into, into different countries all the time. So, um, you know, for that, it means that trade is, is always going to be at the forefront. Um, and we're, we're here at an exciting time with trade. I mean, um, just yesterday we heard that there's going to be the new U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement, and we're still looking at the details um, in the agreement right now, but we were pleased to see that um, there's support in the agreement for agriculture biotechnology and um, new plant breeding methods and sanitary and phytosanitary regulations, as well as intellectual property protections, which are critical for, you know, folks who are, are moving their products into those key markets, um, which Canada and Mexico certainly are for um, the U.S. seed industry. So you mentioned um, some USDA program funding, and I guess that I, I would say that also with that, that means that you also at the organization need to keep a close eye on the farm bill as well. Um, again, you, uh, you're a few days into the job, so we won't get too deep into this, but is this also something that you'll be keeping an eye on? Absolutely, and um, we've been supportive, and I know um, my colleagues over the past several months have been very supportive of continuously funding these USDA programs, um, which are in the Farm Bill. Um, as we know, that hasn't um, passed yet, but that is something we're going to be continuously pushing for in, in this Farm Bill and future Farm Bills. So I want to ask you, what are some of the things that you're most excited about as you come into this new position? Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, the the U.S. seed industry is uniquely positioned um, in a lot of respects as, as a leader, as an international leader. And, um, you know, just from my past couple of days here, I've gotten a chance to meet with our international executive committee, and I was just really impressed by um, the breadth of representation that our members have on the international stage, whether that's working with, um, you know, various international seed associations, um, regional seed associations, um, representation at the OECD. Um, and so I'm really excited to kind of continue that collaboration and um, the diplomacy that, um, you know, representing the United States on a global stage will have. What are some of the challenges that you think you may face or that this position itself faces? What what kind of challenges do we have when we're trying to um, market American seeds in other areas? Mm -hmm. um, well, one of the things that, um, you know, we've, we've really been um, pushing and I think I will have a role in moving forward are these um, phytosanitary barriers. So making sure that, um, you know, countries are allowing for um, the access of U.S. seed, um, you know, based on scientific measures and um, a sound understanding of, of science and international regulations um, and ensuring, you know, fair access for our members. Um, and we see that play out in a variety of different countries, and that's always been a priority is to uh, make sure that we, we have uh, fair access and um, eliminate some of those non-tariff barriers. All right, Abigail, thank you for taking some time out of your day and your busy schedule as you're getting acclimated there uh, to talk with us. Great. Thanks so much for having me on. Abigail Strexness with the American Seed Trade Association. We have a lot more coming up in today's show. 
Later, I'll be talking with Senator Joni Ernst about the possibility of an E-15 announcement, along with a trade deal and what's next for the Farm Bill. But coming up next, we hear from Brian Winnikins, who is out at the World Dairy Expo. Here's a little preview. Should dairy farmers be dancing in the streets that, okay, the witch is dead because Class Seven's going away? Well, I would make certain that you've got some other things to do with your dancing shoes besides uh, dancing right away. Obviously, we are in a much better place now than where we were a month ago or a year ago, Brian. So I think the good news is that Canada has agreed to limit its export subsidies, do away with Class Seven, which in effect created an export subsidy that violated their trade commitments. And we will have some additional market access in to the Canadian market. This is AOA. I'm Sabrina Hill, and we'll be back in just a moment. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. It only takes a minute to find out if you may have prediabetes. And you can do it at doihaveprediabetes.org. But you're probably not going to, are you? Kids, work, listening to the radio. You're busy, which is great because busy people can't get prediabetes. Oh my, I read that wrong. (laughs) They can. Should have worn my glasses. So visit doihaveprediabetes.org and take a short test because prediabetes can be reversed. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. powerful threat calls for a greater response when there's a battle bring strength when there's a problem seek answers when there is doubt give hope not tomorrow not in a few years but right now. Some battles must be faced together. Cancer fighters stand up to cancer every day. And you can be part of this battle too. Visit StandUpToCancer.org to learn more. Together, we can save lives. All right, guys, we're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no, we'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym, my gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her Four Seasons garden room. Weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait, a family hub. Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for Four Seasons now. 
To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Sabrina Hill. Welcome back. Each year, the World Dairy Expo showcases dairy cattle that are truly the best of the best. Owners bring their animals from all corners of the globe for a chance to compete on the colored shavings in Madison, Wisconsin. Over 70,000 dairy enthusiasts attend World Dairy Expo each year to visit with the commercial vendors and attend educational seminars and gather in the Coliseum to view the world's best dairy cattle on parade. It's really a sight. Longtime dairy photographer at the event shares his insights on what it's like to witness history each year. Randy Blodgett, dairy photographer and Holstein breeder, has documented the enthusiasm, passion, and excitement of the show ring for more than 25 years. We caught up with him at World Dairy Expo to find out what it's like to be in the middle of all the action with a camera. This is the greatest show on earth for dairy people, period. Um, everyone comes here because they want to compete against the best on the color shavings. Um, when they come here, they're hoping to leave with, you know, that top five ribbon, obviously the ribbon, but top five at Expo really means something for people. Blodgett knows firsthand what people in the dairy industry are looking for. He's bred two registered Holstein bulls listed in the top 85 bulls and many top TPI and excellent Holstein cows. In his experience, they have much to offer. And the educational process for youth that... Um, Growing up dairy, growing up on a farm, working with Holstein US, USA, and that gives you um, to move forward and think out of the box. With all Blodgett has seen of the dairy business over nearly three decades, he says the future looks bright and it's exciting for him to document the change. And just to see that next generation change and what they think is right and learn from their mistakes, um, and get the smiles, get the tears. That's what it's all about to cover around World Dairy Expo, not just in the ring. A big topic this year at World Dairy Expo, the announcement of the U.S.-Canada trade agreement. Rod Bain looks into how some of the changes may help U.S. milk producers. Those following the U.S.-Canada trade negotiations of the past several months and the subsequent agreement reached earlier this week note the back and forth on the sticking point of Canadian dairy production classifications and its impacts on U.S. dairy growers. But the U.S. Trade Representative's Office Chief Ag Negotiator Greg Dowd says Canada agreed to eliminate its Class 6 and 7 for milk ingredients. However, they still have those products, which led to additional changes agreed upon by both nations from the previous Canadian dairy system. In terms of that skim milk powder, that has to be based upon a U.S. Class 4 price. It can't be a lower price than that. So that's a change in the system. And also we phase in a limit on what Canada can export in terms of skim milk powder. And if they exceed that, then there is a, an export charge that applies. And the ambassador adds Canadian export volume thresholds for milk products will allow U.S. producers to expand overseas sales of their products. I'm Rod Bain reporting, Washington, D.C. We have Brian Winnikins out at the World Dairy Expo who joins us now with this interview. 
Joining me today is uh, Chris Galen with the National Milk Producers Federation. And uh, Chris, well, uh, last year at this time we were talking about, oh my word, we're going to have these this trade war with China and what's that all going to mean? And this year, imagine what a year makes, we're all talking about Class 7, ding dong, the witch is dead, Class seven's going away uh, in Canada. As, so what have you been able to, to, and what has National Milk been able to dissertate from this agreement with Canada? Should be, should dairy farmers be dancing in the streets that, okay, the witch is dead because Class seven's going away? Well, I would make certain that you've got some other things to do with your dancing shoes besides uh, dancing right away. Obviously, we are in a much better place now than where we were a month ago or a year ago, Brian. So I think the good news is that Canada has agreed to limit its export subsidies, do away with Class 7, which in effect created an export subsidy that violated their trade commitments. And we will have some additional market access into the Canadian market over time. I think the biggest headline, though, is simply that we are maintaining the architecture of the NAFTA uh, pact. It is going to have a new name, and it will be uh, somewhat different in, in its terms going forward, but the bottom line is that we still have a uh, continent-wide agreement that, importantly, will allow us to maintain our market access to Mexico. So we're getting a little more in Canada, but the more important thing, and I think it's always going to be more important, is we need to be able to reach those consumers in Mexico. And hopefully with this agreement, once it gets finalized, that will continue to happen. Now, you, you mentioned that we've kept the basic framework of, of NAFTA in place. So is that going to mean, at least for U.S. dairy, specifically Wisconsin dairy as well, that we'll actually have either the same market access we had one before, or we're going to actually see some additional market access? Because really, the devil's here in the details. Yeah. The, the devil's in the details, and it's not even so much about what was signed here in the past week, but how it will be implemented. Uh, one of the reasons why I answered your initial question with a little bit of caution is that Canada has a history of making promises, but not always necessarily necessarily keeping them or keeping them to the spirit of the agreement. So, for instance, like the creation of Class 6 and Class 7 in the last couple of years was designed to circumvent the limits that they agreed to with what they exported. And so that's why we needed to roll it back. And the NAFTA renegotiation came at an opportune time to, to do that. But if we didn't have the NAFTA renegotiations, we still would have had to do something about Canada because it hurt not just the U.S., but many other countries as well with what they were doing an international milk powder market. So all the way of saying that we need to see how this agreement is implemented so that promises made at this point are promises that are kept in the future. Talking with Chris Galen with the National Milk Producers Federation uh, this morning. Why did Canada give up Class 7? Because, boy, I'll tell you what, with all the media, uh, dairy farmers of Canada even said, you give up Class 7, there'll be a new government in Canada. So why'd they give it up? Well, I think that they recognize that it was a blatant violation and conflict with what they had agreed to do. And it but other countries were complaining about it as well, going back more than a year. Europe didn't like it, the European dairy sector, Australia and New Zealand didn't like it. So what Canada did was an affront not just to, to the U.S., but to other nations as well. And I think they recognized that it was going to be hard to get away with that over the long term. Meanwhile, let's talk a little bit about the uh, dairy product labeling uh, issue. Uh, obviously, uh, uh, Wisconsin Senator Tammy Baldwin has introduced some resolutions to... to force FDA uh, to uh, follow the rules. Uh, she's called FDA out on the carpet. She's brought them in in committee hearings. FDA has 
still kind of not enforcing the rules here. Yeah, so the good news here is that the FDA commissioner, when he spoke with Senator Baldwin this summer during a hearing, admitted that you don't got milk from an almond, almonds don't lactate, and that he was going to be taking a closer look at this issue. And he has followed through on that pledge, and he has opened up a comment period here to allow the dairy sector and other involved interest groups to weigh in and say this is why this issue of the fake dairy products is a problem and why it needs to be changed. So we have an opportunity and it may be the best and only opportunity that we get Brian for us to weigh in with the FDA and show why this is a public health issue, why it's important to have these standards in the first place and why not all milks are created equal. What's happening is that the vegans who are the big proponents of these plant-based foods are saying, well, I'm not confused about soy milk or almond milk. I know that they don't come from a cow. That's great. That's not who we're concerned with. We're concerned with the rank and file people who go to the grocery store, who see all these different things labeled milk or cheese or yogurt in the dairy case, and they think, well, it's kind of six of one, half a dozen of another. It's like Coke and Pepsi. They're basically kind of the same stuff. It's just a matter of preference of taste. Well, no, it's not. It's a matter of nutrition. We've done a lot of research into what products are out there in the marketplace. None of the plant-based dairy imitators have the same amount of nutrition on a consistent basis as real cow's milk. So that fact is going to inform our arguments with the FDA, and then the FDA is going to hopefully process that and, and use that to decide how they're going to regulate these products in the future. Sure. Very frustrating, though, I guess, from my standpoint, I think for dairy farmers' standpoint is, wait a minute, we have a law that says milk comes from a lactating animal, and that's how you have to label it, and FDA continues to just drag their feet. I, I, I get it, they want public comment, but wait a minute, this is the law, follow the law, enforce the law, and 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 who cares about the comments, frankly? Yeah. In an ideal world, that would be the situation, Brian. And speaking of the world, the U.S. really is at odds with a lot of other countries. In Canada, you will not find almond milk. And in fact, even the product in the U.S. that's called muscle milk up in Canada is called muscle MLK. They can't call it milk. So that is one thing that we agree with the Canadians about. They are much more uh, protective of dairy in a lot of respects, including on the labeling. But then the same is also true in Europe and in England. So the U.S. is at odds here with how it reviews and how it enforces these labels. Uh, I think the FDA is trying to get information in order to provide a basis for what it is going to do. So we need to help it do its job, help the agency do its job. That's a little frustrating because, as you said, they shouldn't necessarily need a lot of prompting to do this. But we are where we are, and we need to be able to move forward and provide them with information so that they can take enforcement action against these mislabeled products. That is Chris Galen. He is uh, with the National Milk Producers uh, Federation from World Dairy Expo. I'm Brian Wanikans. This is Adams on Agriculture. Filling in for Mike Adams, I'm Sabrina Hill. We'll be right back.
Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Positive tone in corn and soybeans on this Thursday. Wheat futures have been mixed, but we're firm to two and a half cents higher an hour into the trading day. Rainfall coming to the Midwest could be significant enough to likely impact harvest, perhaps yields as well. Thursday morning's radar maps showing shower activity in southwestern South Dakota, central Nebraska. Low pressure is promoting rain and thunderstorms in a line from central Missouri stretching northeast to the Great Lakes. In the forecast, we're calling for episodes of moderate to heavy showers, thunderstorms from northern Illinois through Wisconsin, western and northern Michigan late Friday, Saturday, and Saturday night. Soybean futures trending two and a fraction higher an hour into the day. November soybeans fell to a weaker close on Wednesday, the market retreating from resistance at 867 and a quarter. The market said to be vulnerable to short-term backing and filling, support seen at 860 and a half. December corn erased Wednesday's intraday gains and all of Tuesday's gains to close lower yesterday, trending a penny and a fraction higher on this Thursday. The minor bearish reversal marking out initial resistance on December at 369. In the wheats, we're a fraction higher in Minneapolis, two and a fraction better in Kansas City, one and a quarter higher in Chicago wheat. Livestock at the Merck and live cattle futures. October up a nickel at 113.25, but the back months 25 to 55 cents lower. Feeder cattle, November down a dollar ten at 157.72. Lean hogs, December, down $1.5, Wall Street, the Dow, down 197 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day, because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. 
information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Sabrina Hill. Welcome back to AOA. We have on the phone Senator Joni Ernst of Iowa. Senator Ernst, there is word now that President Trump will be in Iowa next week. There are hopes for an announcement on year-round E15. Have you heard anything about if that announcement will happen, or is it still all just kind of guesswork at this time? Well, I am very hopeful that that is the announcement. Um, so I have been working quite extensively with, of course, the administration on this issue. Our delegation has been very diligent uh, about uh, working with the president as well. And, and, of course, we have made the plug for E15 year round. And uh, we have heard the president say before that he supports that. So, wow, wouldn't that be the logical place to make an announcement like that right there in Iowa? Exactly. And and exactly. What would that mean for your farmers there in Iowa? Well, it would provide optimism in the market, which is really important right now with our, our corn prices um, really not, not doing so well. So it would be very, very helpful. Um, our farmers would absolutely love the opportunity to have E15 uh, sold year-round in all locations. And, uh, of course, our consumers would love that, too, to have a little more selection and choice at the pump year-round. So I think it's a great thing. I think our farmers are going to love it. Let's get into a couple of the other topics that we were going to talk about today. Let's start off with trade. Big news on the trade deal this week with Canada. Once again, bringing us into a three-way trade agreement between the U.S., Mexico, Canada. From your perspective, what does this mean for agriculture? Well, this is great for agriculture. So not only uh, do we stay strong because ag was strong in NAFTA, but we stay strong in the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. And what it does, even more so than NAFTA did, now we will see that um, dairy is able to go into Canada. We will be able to sell, um, of course, uh, cheeses and so forth to Canada. And then also it does level the playing field a little bit for our wheat farmers as well. And then it's also stronger in poultry and eggs. So I think it's a great situation for farmers and ranchers and to be able to break through some of those Canadian barriers. I think this trade agreement is top notch. And the president, he delivered yet another one of his campaign promises to modernize the old NAFTA. Now, there are still some things that are up in the air uh, with the deal. The agreement likely will be before Congress in 2019. There's a possibility the House will have switched leadership to Democrats. Do you think that this could be a problem? I don't think it should be a problem, one, because uh, this is doing what what is right for America, our farmers, our ranchers, and our workers. And so one thing that uh, the, the Democrats will be really interested in as well is the fact that in this agreement, we are protecting American workers. And they did that through the auto um, industry, through the auto parts industry, especially when it applies to uh, Mexico, that a number of their workers now will have to that wage of $16 an hour or more with at least 40 to 45 percent of the uh, parts that are coming into the United States. So by uh, upping the wages in, in Mexico for those workers, we're trying to protect our own workers here in the United States. So you mentioned a few minutes ago several of the ag industries that will really benefit from this. A big one was dairy. Everybody's talking so much about the dairy concessions. How important was it that we got that in our side of the trade deal? 
That is very important. And our dairy farmers um, in Iowa, they have, have brought that issue to me time and time again. And so it is something that we were able to, to work through the trade rep, um, work with the White House, and even the smallest little opening for us to get into Canada is uh, greatly appreciated. I think we have a lot of opportunity here, and I know that our, our dairymen are really going to capitalize on that. Let's switch over to the Farm Bill. We've already hit the September 30th deadline. Uh, now it's the hope is to pass a Farm Bill after the November elections. Do you think that this will be possible, or are we probably looking at another January extension? Well, I would love to have the Farm Bill pass uh, after the elections, and, and Chairman Roberts has uh, expressed his disappointment as, as well because we are now being forced into a situation where we will have to wait until after the midterm elections. I hope at that point then we're able to come together as the House and the Senate, make these decisions, and move the Farm Bill forward to reauthorization. I really don't want to go into another extension-type situation. I think it's just vitally important that we get the farm bill reauthorized. If we go into another extension situation, can you explain to me and to our listeners what kind of issues that that could cause for our agricultural industries? Well, it just does set us back into past policy, and, and we really do want to move forward. So that's why the reauthorization would be really important, because there are a number of changes that we wanted to make to different types of programs. Um, now, not all of the Farm Bill programs have been affected equally uh, since the Farm Bill has expired, and there are a couple different scenarios there. But um, just so the, the listeners understand, there are a few of the key programs like like crop insurance and like SNAP, that will continue more or less as they do now. So um, what uh, some of the other programs will do, though, since the bill has expired, uh, some of the other programs will revert back to, like I said, outdated um, permanent law from previous farm bills. And that's not the way we should be doing business. We shouldn't be doing short-term extensions. Um, we shouldn't allow the farm bill to expire. We really do need to make sure that we are getting the farm bill reauthorized. And of course, as with every time we have a new farm bill, this is something that's been in the works for years. Um, what type of work is left that still needs to be done on this? Well, there are a couple of dif disagreements between uh, what the House would like to see and what the Senate would like to see. And the largest, of course, is SNAP, uh, the Food and Nutrition Program, and the requirements that go along with that SNAP program. Now, uh, the House uh, members would like to see greater work requirements for SNAP. We do have some provisions in the Senate version that allows for updated requirements requirements for SNAP. It doesn't go quite as far as what the House has proposed. That is the biggest difference, I think, in the bill. There are some other conservation programs where we do have differences between the House and the Senate, but I believe those could be worked out if we can find a path forward for SNAP. Um, so it's um, just a few disagreements that exist out there. I believe the House is on recess now through uh, through the midterm elections. So really, we're not able to, to get that up accomplished. But again, you know, after the after the midterm elections, I certainly hope that we can come back together and get the farm bill reauthorized. All right, Senator Ernst, those are all the questions that I had for you. But I wanted to know, do you have any parting thoughts or anything else that you'd like for our listeners to know about today? 
Well, certainly I am excited about the United States-Mexico-Canada trade agreement that has been negotiated by the administration. And I just want to remind um, all the folks out there, too, that we do continue working on other trade agreements. And the one that might be at the forefront of everybody's mind is China as well. And so we will keep pushing for the completion of a successful trade deal with China. We really do want to see that. Um, So hopefully that will be upcoming. Um, There are other trade issues that we'll continue to work on. And another exciting one, too, would be Japan. A lot of our farmers really follow that uh, Japan discussion, too. So uh, the administration has announced, they announced late in September, of their intent to really start those trade discussions in earnest with Japan. And we would love to have them not only as our, our ally, but also as a strong trade partner, too. All right. Once again, I want to thank you so much for calling in this morning. We appreciate it. You betcha. Thanks so much. And on the topic of trade, it's been an up and down road on the way to getting a trade agreement with Japan. But we may be a little closer to it now. Gary Crawford has this report. There have been many bumps in the road in U.S. agricultural trade relations with Japan over the years. All along, most everybody agreed with this November of 2015 comment from then Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack. There's opportunity both for the U.S. and Japan to see expanded market opportunities. And it appeared a new agreement with Japan was a done deal when the U.S. along with Japan and 10 other nations signed the Trans-Pacific Partnership in February 2016. But in January 2017, President Trump pulled the U.S. out of the TPP telling reporters the move was a great thing for the American worker, what we just did. So that left the alternative of negotiating directly with Japan. And in August of last year, Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue told reporters, I think we can get a better deal directly, but we need to get that done very quickly. Again, that was August 2017. Nothing much happened on that front. However, some people seem to have a knack for forecasting the future. And back in January of this year, the Agriculture Department's Undersecretary for Trade, Ted McKinney, told an audience that as far as some kind of trade agreement with Japan is concerned. I believe it is not a matter of if but when something will come. And sure enough, something has come just a few days ago in New York after meeting with Japanese Prime Minister Abe, President Trump telling reporters. We've uh, agreed today to start trade negotiations between the United States and Japan. This was something that for various reasons over the years Japan was unwilling to do and now they are willing to do. So we're very happy about that. And I'm sure that we'll come to a satisfactory conclusion. I think it'll be something very exciting, better than ever before on trade. I think it's going to be better for Japan and better for the United States. Now, in order to protect its own farmers, Japan has had tariffs on many U.S. products for a long time, including frozen beef and pork products, and those are issues that remain a problem for U.S. producers. But after an ag trade trip to Japan back in June, USDA Trade Undersecretary Ted McKinney again said the Japanese certainly don't have a problem with U.S. products. Buyers told him they love the products. Why? First, the quality. It's a good quality product. Hand in glove with that is the trust in the regulatory system that says it's safe. And then, you know, usually the U.S., with its size and scope, has an opportunity to deliver volumes of product. So U.S. products are an easy sell in Japan. Japan is already our fourth largest customer for U.S. ag products, buying $12 billion worth last year. Gary Crawford, Washington. This is AOA. I'm Sabrina Hill. We'll be back in just a moment with more agriculture news.
Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything, editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Did you ever look at the stains in your coffee cup and then realize that's exactly what happens to your teeth? Paraswabs is the five-minute solution to get your teeth white without visiting the dentist. This is John Greenhut, the CEO of Paraswabs. And if your teeth are stained from coffee, tea, or smoking, all it takes is five minutes with Paraswabs. In five minutes, you'll see an average of two shades whiter teeth, and in seven days, six shades. It's clinically proven to whiten natural teeth as well as caps and veneers. The secret is a tooth detergent that was developed by Dr. Martin Ginniger that lifts stains off of your teeth. Best of all, there's no messy strips or trays that you have to leave in your mouth for an hour. Just swab your teeth for five minutes, and you're done. To try Paraswabs. Risk free, call 866-504-0276. That's 866-504-0276. I guarantee your bright white smile will have your friends talking about how great you look. Try it risk free today. 866-504-0276. 866-504-0276. Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency so you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information. We all want more time with our dads, brothers, partners, friends, and our sons. Time for more conversations, more catch-ups, more of what life's all about. Now is our time to make it happen. Together, we can stop men dying too young by tackling the big issues. Prostate cancer, testicular cancer, mental health, suicide. It's time to act. Sign up at Movember.com and raise funds to help change the face of men's health. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything. Editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. 
It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Sabrina Hill. Welcome back. Time for the day's top news. Republicans could push for a swift vote on the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement if congressional power swings to Democrats in the November elections. Some Republicans in the Senate are pushing to approve the new trade deal this year if the party loses majority in the House. The USMCA will replace the North American Free Trade Agreement, and if one of the chambers switches sides, some believe the Democrats could vote against the agreement because it's a win for President Donald Trump. Bloomberg reports not all Republicans are sure that a vote will happen this year, given that trade is such a volatile issue in the U.S. and that NAFTA has faced widespread criticism. However, Senate Finance Committee Chairman Orrin Hatch has said the Senate ought to move on NAFTA as soon as we can. The committee is the top panel in the Senate responsible for trade. A vote this year would be part of a busy lame duck session that would include budget bills and the farm bill. Meanwhile, while U.S. agriculture is hailing the deal, organized labor wants improvements. House Democrats and labor officials tell the Washington Post their chief issue with the revised NAFTA is its lack of measures to enforce labor protections. But, the paper reports, labor could settle instead for spelling out such measures in ratification bill next year. And labor leaders and Democrats give U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer high marks for his efforts. At the American Farm Bureau, Trade Advisor Dave Salmonson says one hurdle's already been cleared, getting a three-country deal instead of one with Mexico alone. Leadership in Congress saying, well, you know, we, we wanted you to do a three-country deal, not a two-country deal. Um, so... That's all put aside now, going ahead with the three countries, and that should make things, uh, you know, not smoother perhaps when it comes to voting, but smoother on the procedural side, the initial side of this. And with strong political support to continue duty-free trading in North America, that has quadrupled U.S. farm sales and boosted auto sales. It's more likely than less the votes will be there for USMCA. But agriculture has bigger challenges ahead. Kansas U.S. Senator Jerry Moran. Since the start of the trade dispute with China, soybean prices have fallen over $2 per bushel, which equates to Kansas farmers and grain handlers losing out on $378 million of possible revenues solely on soybeans. It is estimated that the decline in sorghum prices due to China's tariffs will result in about $87 of lost revenue per acre. Ag leaders in Congress and the administration hope the recent succession of trade wins with Canada, Mexico, South Korea, Japan, and the EU will provide new momentum in resolving disputes with China. Until then, the Wall Street Journal reports, top U.S. labor group's initial response to USMCA is more positive than it's been to every other trade deal over the past quarter century. 
Biotechnology and addressing issues such as sanitary and phytosanitary trade barriers were key areas of agreement in that recent trade deal. Here's Rod Bain with more. One of the key agricultural-based achievements in recent trade agreements between the U.S., Mexico, and Canada, according to the chief agricultural negotiator for the U.S. Trade Representative's office, is a discussion about standards for biotechnology and consultations about new types of biotechnology like gene editing. Ambassador Greg Dowd says agreement was also reached on ways to reduce trade-distorting policies among the three nations, including increased transparency on export restrictions that have a basis in food security. Also addressed, how do we enhance dealing with sanitary and phytosanitary issues at the speed of commerce? With advancement of science-based decision-making and improved certification processes, the ambassador says with the USMCA trade deal and specific areas of agreement like biotech and reducing trade-distorting policies, we have a lot of agreement in North America on how to deal with these issues, and this is a way that we can demonstrate to the world this is how we'd like to proceed with other countries going forward. I'm Rod Bain reporting in Washington, D.C. A clause in that upgraded and renamed North American Free Trade Agreement nearly forbids deals with non-market countries, such as China. The language deep in the new U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement marks another blow in the tit-for-tat trade war the U.S. is leveraging against China. Specifically, the provision specifies that if one of the current North American Free Trade Agreement partners enters a free trade deal with a non-market country such as China, the others can quit in six months and form their own bilateral trade pact. Turning to another topic now, what effect will the recent hikes in interest rates have on farmers and the agricultural sector? Gary Crawford has this report. Just as was expected by many people, the other day the Fed made the anticipated move. With a quarter point increase in short-term interest rates. Fed Chairman Jerome Powell, this is the third rate hike this year and the reason given for it. Keep the economy strong, healthy, and moving forward. Ah, but President Trump's reaction to the boost in rates. I am not happy about that, but they raised them, and they're raising them because we're doing so well. The president said the general U.S. economy is doing very well. That's the good part. We have to take this in the context of the fact that the Fed felt uh, the economy was strong enough to do this. And getting stronger, but Agriculture Department Chief Economist Rob Johansson there told us that for the farm economy, different story. The ag economy is often very countercyclical with the rest of the economy. And now as we see the other sectors of the economy, you know, responding, it's, it's probably not that much of a surprise that the ag economy is move, maybe moving in a different direction. And he says in the past, rising interest rates have made that movement in the wrong direction a little worse. Now we go to University of Georgia agricultural economist Jeffrey Dorfman. He told us first that, yes, research shows interest rate hikes tend to put downward pressure on farm commodity prices. The question is, given that we all knew this was happening, Commodity prices may already have dropped, so we might really see no change at all. But if we do see any change, it'll be a small drop in commodity prices. But there can be other effects. Agriculture Department Chief Economist Rob Johansson told us studies show interest rate hikes tend to bring foreign money into the U.S. That can cause the dollar to gain strength. And that has the effect of making it more difficult for our producers to sell our products overseas. We become a little bit less competitive on the global scene. Emphasis on a little bit. Also, with higher interest rates. Land and capital equipment would probably go down in value a little bit. As the interest rates go up, it becomes uh, a little bit more difficult to buy those, and therefore demand for those assets will fall. Now, you may have noticed both our experts describing any of these possible effects from higher rates as... Probably a little, probably not much. 
Now, of course, the most direct way farmers will feel the effects of higher interest rates is the interest rates themselves. Johansson says it's almost certain farmers are going to be paying more to borrow money. USDA estimates this year it'll be 17% more than in 2017, partly because of higher interest rates, partly because farm incomes down, farmers are needing to borrow more money to keep going. And the cost of that money continues to climb. Gary Crawford, Washington. That is today's news. Join us tomorrow as I wrap up my week of guest hosting. Tomorrow on the show, we talk with an expert on estate planning and learn how to keep your family protected if something should happen to you. We also have our final report from the World Dairy Expo. This is AOA. I'm Sabrina Hill. Thanks for listening.